Hey everybody, this is Zach. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks for subscribing to Baltimore Sports Today and for sticking with us. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, odds are you've been with us for years since we haven't put out any new content in a while. And um, I can't tell you how much that means to me. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Like many of you, I've been quarantined the last couple months and have really been missing sports. If you're a longtime BST listener, you've probably heard Jab and I talk about how sports is kind of an escape for us from the real world. Think back to the riots in Baltimore in 2015 and about how sports helped me get through that time and jumping behind the mic and talking to Jab about it was therapeutic and really helped out. Right now, we don't have any sports to do that. Uh, Well, that is unless you become a KBO fan overnight like Jab has. What we do have, however, is a plethora of games and highlights on YouTube, and I found myself going back to that over and over again. So the idea popped up that we should start a podcast where we rewatch and relive some of those classic games. Jab, Patrick, and I started a new podcast. It's called Retro Sports Rewind, and we do just that. Uh, Today, we're releasing our fourth episode, and we've been really proud of the quality and the content of the show. This week, our show is on the 1998 NBA Finals between the Bulls and Jazz, The Last Dance. Uh, If you've been watching the amazing documentary on ESPN and are probably missing it since it ended on Sunday, this podcast episode is for you. So when I finally stop talking, you can listen to that episode right here in its entirety on this feed. Um, And if you like that episode, I invite you to check out our show on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, it's called Retro Sports Rewind, and we're putting out new episodes each week that come out on Monday morning. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Thanks again for subscribing to this feed and for sticking with us. It truly means a lot to me. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Retro Sports Rewind, a podcast where we look back at some of the greatest games in sports history. We rewatch these classics, give you the history behind the matchup, run through the highlights, and discuss what made each game so great. We invite you to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. And we also ask that you please rate and review the show. We love those five-star ratings and appreciate everybody taking the time to share the show with their friends. We are also on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at RetrosportsPod, Instagram at RetrosportsRewind, and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RetrosportsRewind. I'm Zach Wilt, and I'm joined by my good pals. First up, it's Jabby Burns. How are you, Jab? I'm doing great, Zach. I am so excited for today's show. Very relevant um, from what we got going on here. Um, television-wise for me, because as you guys know, I don't watch any actual shows. Like, if you could tell me Ozark's great, it probably is. Um, all the different shows that you guys watch. Now, I will watch a movie, and I'm excited to talk about a movie that you brought up, Zach, in the bullpen um, that I think I need to rewatch too. But um, I'm just excited. It's going to be a fun, fun show today. Yeah, I'm super pumped for this one. So let's welcome in Patrick Guthrie. How are you, Patrick? I'm good, man. And besides this being super relevant, and it's it's partially why we picked it, I feel like this is a sweet spot in terms of years. Like this area of the '90s is like it's it's good to get two perspectives because like Jab, obviously, this is like probably like peak betting for you or one of oh. your peak betting periods. <laughs> so you can give us the perspective of like being an adult <laughs> and betting on this game, which I, I'm I'm sure you. I mean, there's betting on the NBA is a blast, and this is. 
this is like, I mean, late childhood for me and Zach who yep. deified Michael Jordan. Like, uh, and we both, we both agreed on it. We were both talking before the show. Neither of us were Bulls fans. We both had Michael Jordan posters. We both had Michael Jordan jerseys. Like yep. this is a, I think this is a cool kind of time to talk about because we have, both have two very different perspectives on, uh, on this game. And rare, very relevant as uh, the whole world is watching The Last Dance right now with no live sports. Uh, and we just got the last two episodes of The Last Dance airing. I guess we should disclose we recorded this before those two uh, have aired. But we've been watching um, just like everybody else and have really, really loved it. So it was fun to go back and rewatch this full broadcast. We'll talk about how what we actually thought of the broadcast. But was it, it was... though, Zach? I, I know how you feel, but we'll I'm talk gonna, about it later. I'm going to say my feelings on the broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> I liked watching Michael do his thing. Uh, <laughs> last, last week, we went back to 1980 for the Miracle on Ice. That was fun. That was a fun broadcast. We saw the U.S. upset the Soviet Union at the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. That was an amazing look back, one of the greatest upsets ever, one of the greatest sports calls ever. Uh, so we're excited to be back with you again, looking forward to rewinding again. So, Jab, we've kind of spoiled it, but why don't you tell us exactly what's in store for this week? Well, what's in store is Zach's going to be very angry at one point in the podcast, which I really look forward to. But this way, we're going to get back in the DeLorean, not have to go as far as we did to 1980. This is more 1998, and I think Patrick pointed it out great. It's a perfect wheelhouse for both of our times in our life when we were, we were and how we were. And yes, Patrick, there was plenty of wagering going on during this 1998 Game 6 NBA Finals between the Chicago Bulls and the Utah Jazz at the Delta Center, which... By the way, it's one of the uh, loudest arenas um, out there, and that's something that we'll get to in, the, in this here. In Salt Lake City, huge, huge game, and one that uh, is down for the history books for sure, Zach. Yeah, and it's, it's funny watching this and um, you know really feeling what the stakes were like because that's what the last dance is all about. So when you, when you finally get to this moment... Um, it feel it felt huge rewatching this game because uh, you know we've we've watched ten episodes of an hour long documentary about uh, the build up to it. So um, I'm looking forward to talking about the game, but I feel like the setup for this matchup is really huge. So Patrick, why don't you set us up and take us back to 1998? Oh my God, there's so much to get into uh, for this particular game, this particular series as a whole. Um, obviously, if you've been watching The Last Dance at all, you probably have a great perspective on what was, go- what was going on with the 1998 Bulls going into this series. Um, but obviously this is the last season of probably the greatest dynasty. I wouldn't even say probably the greatest dynasty in NBA history. I mean, two, three peaks when, uh, Michael Jordan was a part of the team with the Chicago Bulls. Um, and this was probably, I would say the toughest opponent that they ever got was the Jazz. This is their, this was their second finals in a row against the Jazz. Um, and the majority of the games, if you look across those two years were really close games. These teams, matched up well. I mean, uh, there were times that the Bulls would play somebody in the finals and like they, they blew out the Lakers early in the 90s. The Sonics kind of put up a fight back in back at the, the first uh, win of their second three-peat. But it wasn't, I mean, nobody ever thought they were a threat to win that series. Um, the Jazz had proved the year before in uh, 97 that they were a threat to beat the Bulls. They lost that game, uh, they lost that series in six games as well. They have two bona fide Phenomenal Hall of Famers on their team between Carl Malone and John Stockton. Um, 
And the Jazz kind of actually had almost a little bit of an easier road to the finals than the Bulls did. They had swept uh, the conference finals against the Lakers. Their only tough series was in the first round against the Rockets, which they won in five games. But they had also beaten the Spurs um, four to one in that series. So they had won eight of nine games coming into the finals. Uh, The Bulls had probably played their toughest series of their entire double three-peat run against the Pacers in the previous round and almost gotten knocked out in the seventh game in Chicago there. Um, and this all set up throughout the series to be, a, you know, a, a great game. Um, and it went, it went back and forth plenty of times. Um, and there's, there's so much to talk about going into in terms of, as we learned at the beginning of this broadcast, injuries. Uh, a lot of people weren't healthy for this game. John Stockton had a bad back. Scotty Pippen had a bad back. Howard Isley had vertigo. Like there's there's a lot kind of going on here that shows that you can see in the game as it goes is as to why it's it's not the cleanest played game ever. Like there are there are moments there are moments where this game is really nice, specifically the second quarter where both teams kind of are hitting on all cylinders. Um, but and for a variety the third of reasons, is a mess. <laughs> yeah, there's there are messy, ugly parts of this game which we can also talk about of like. This doesn't look like today's basketball. Uh, this this doesn't this this isn't a team taking thirty threes a game. This is a team taking ten threes a game. It is a rare opportunity to see a team take a three pointer in this game. It doesn't happen often. Um, the Jazz have a bunch of guys over seven feet who can barely move, and that's kind of the way basketball was played in the nineties. We hear illegal defense calls, which is not something that even exists anymore. <laughs> the Bulls get four illegal defense calls, but yeah, I mean this this is. Not only for the Bulls, because we've we've heard about it ad nauseum uh, for good reason. Obviously, Jordan's the best player ever. This was supposed to be Jordan's last game. They're blowing up the team. Phil Jackson's going to leave. Scottie Pippen's going to sign somewhere else. The Jazz don't get talked about kind of in a similar way in that this is a this was an older Jazz team. This was, uh, I think, Carl Malone was 34. John Stockton's 35. Uh, this, is, Horny. this is one of their last. Yeah, Hornacek's 34. Um this was one of their last shots at a championship uh, as a really good team that, I mean, there are so many good teams throughout the Jordan era that could have that could have won if he wasn't there. Uh, but they put up a great fight throughout the entire series. All of these games were close except for one. And obviously this is in the Delta Center, like Jab said, one of the loudest places, one of the toughest places to play in the NBA, which you wouldn't think because, you know, Utah. But they have some of the loudest, craziest fans. And this was a, a great game. Uh at least to me, I and mean, even even though it was ugly, I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I I did too. I, I wanna I wanna before we get into the game, as I'm dying to do that, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the '98 Bulls and and you know the Last Dance is doing an amazing job uh, recapping that. But uh, we should remember we're we are a podcast that uh, is pretty evergreen. So somebody may be listening to this years and years past when the Last Dance aired and uh, past the quarantine and all the craziness that we're living in now. Uh, I look forward to living in that future, hopefully sometime <laughs> soon. Um, 1998 was just a, a crazy year. Jab, we saw the relationship between Bulls GM Jerry Krause and Phil Jackson completely break apart. And, and this was Jackson, uh, his his last year in Chicago. And, and you know, Krause saying things like, you could go 82-0, and 0, you're not going to be the coach next year. And that 
uh, relationship with the players deteriorating because of the things that he was saying. And, um, you know, we're, we're watching Jordan travel to these different arenas and, and tickets are selling out. It, you know, he hasn't said he's retiring at the end of the year, but he's saying that he's not going to play for anybody but Phil Jackson. So that announcement doesn't come until after the season, but everybody's expecting that this is, um, you know, Jordan's last year. Uh, of course, he comes back and plays with the Wizards a little bit after after that. And this is his second retirement. We should we should point out. Um, you know, even even David Stern, Jordan was the uh, was the All Star Game MVP, and uh, David Stern kind of makes a comment about uh, you know hopefully he'll come back next year and do it again, right? Like the, the NBA is so dependent on Michael Jordan as a star, and we see that in the TV ratings, and it's just a a very crazy time in Chicago with this dynasty kind of coming to an end. And, um, you know, there's uh, uncertainty is not the right word because I think we know what's coming, right? They do blow this team up at the, at the end of the year, but none of that is really, uh, uh, solidified until after this game. No. And it's other things that it's interesting about this. As the season started for the 98 bulls, you got to remember Scotty Pippen did not start that season. He had a foot injury. So they started off nine and seven, by the way. Um, record through november okay so you got to remember that team that team ended up the team ended up going 62 and 20 overall but i mean nine and seven in november when pippen comes back they post that 13 game winning streak um and they go on and, and you see you see what happens they you know they beat the nets they, they beat the hornets you know um and i think tell call tell me if i'm wrong patrick but the series against the pacers to get to this finals might be the toughest series of jordan's career that team in Indiana, which later on ended up playing the Lakers in the finals a couple of years later, Indiana was a thorn for, for the Bulls in that series. And it's very interesting you point out how everybody's kind of beat up in that um, in the finals here, in the in this finals against the Jazz. I you would think the way that the the, the Jazz coasted through those um you know, first three series, they would be okay and that the the Bulls would be the one that are down, but it turns out the Bulls are a little bit tougher and older probably too. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I totally agree with you. By the way, one of my least favorite teams ever because it included probably my least favorite athlete ever, which is Reggie Miller because he oh, buried yeah. the Knicks a billion Chris, times. Chris Mullen. Oh. Chris Mullen, Mark <laughs> Jackson. Uh, the, uh, the, Detlef the, Shrimp. Yeah, the uh, the tall, pasty white fellow Rick, named Rick, Rick Smith. Smith, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was it was a really hard series. The Bulls were trailing the fourth quarter of Game 7 in that series. Um, going into it, and they ended up winning. Uh, but yeah, I, for sure, you can you can see everybody kind of besides Jordan in this game is exa- is beat. Like I mean, either literally injured or just exhausted. And you can there are moments in this game where you can see Jordan's beat. Like it's it's truly like a war of attrition, especially as physical as this as the NBA used to be. Like you can kind of that's kind of the trade off that we see from. Um, this era of the NBA to now is that like this era of the NBA has more points. It's more fun to watch. It's, it's a little, it's definitely less physical. There's less hand checking, but a lot of the way Jordan scores points in this game, which we'll get into is just attrition, like running at the basket and drawing a foul and just physically getting beat up, willing to get beat up over and over again to score points. Yeah, and we learn we we learn throughout his career that uh, that you know he ends up putting on more muscle to be that type of player to endure those 
those types of games, which end up paying off. He's 34 years old in this game. Um, and yeah, he, he just outlasts everybody. And, and they mentioned it in the broadcast about how, you know, when everybody's exhausted, he somehow finds a way to, to take it to another level. And uh, that's kind of always been the thing that they've said about Jordan, right? I mean, they, they mentioned it um, in the episode about the dream team that, uh, that I just watched. Uh, uh, about how you know that he he can find that level to to beat these guys to outwork these guys, uh, which is which is crazy because it's it's the talent and and the drive to be so great. So with that, I I do want to talk about Michael Jordan a little bit uh, before running through the recap of this game because it it's so interesting to me um, and we've mentioned it on the podcast before but uh, I grew up in Maryland and rooted for the hometown teams so that being the Orioles uh, and the Ravens when they arrived uh, into town um, later on in life I became a, a hockey fan uh, and started rooting for the Washington Capitals um, interestingly though Patrick in in the mid 90s uh, as a you know what seven eight nine ten year old um, I wore Jordan shoes and I had a Michael Jordan poster in my room and I loved Space Jam and I wore a Jordan jersey in third grade. I distinctly remember that. Um, having, you know, it, it, it's so weird for me to look back at that time in life and think, what was I doing wearing Chicago Bulls stuff? But that's who Michael Jordan was at, at this time, right? He, he transcended all of that. And the whole thing about being a hometown fan, it, it didn't matter. Everybody was a Michael Jordan fan. I kind of, the only two athletes that I can think of in that way, and it's a totally different sport would be him and Tiger, probably of just like it, if you're a fan of the sport, you're a fan of them. Because I was the same way. I grew up a Knicks fan. I was a Knicks fan my whole life. I had a Jordan poster in my bedroom. I had a Jordan jersey. And I wanted Jordans. Like, there will never be a guy like him again who so singularly captures, like, he was the guy. He was – there weren't other there weren't other shoes. Like, uh, by this point, uh, you know, other people had shoe models. But you wanted Jordans. Like, there, there was nothing that compared to Jordans. There was no player that compared to Jordan. There was nobody with the um, all the advertisements, all the endorsements that Jordan had. Like, he was, he was the NBA. It was him and everybody else in the NBA, and then really in every other sport. Uh, he was, he was a brand. I mean, he is a brand. He literally has his own brand now, which is the Jordan <laughs> brand. But even before that, when he was just with Nike, I mean, Michael Jordan was. I, and I think this would be different in the age of social media where there's so many people to kind of take people down and write more stuff like the Jordan rules book that Sam Smith wrote that kind right. of brought up negative things about Jordan. He was just, just kind of like almost like a, a godlike figure in basketball uh, of just like, he was, he was the guy There were very few negative things written about him. He didn't say much to ruffle anybody's feathers. He was just, the perfect brand for anybody to attach to. Yeah, he was. We had the, we had the Be Like Mike campaign, right, Jab? And, and that, you know, I think that kind of emphasized a lot of, of why uh, people really liked him. It, and I, I have to be honest, Jab, rewatching or watching The Last Dance for the first time kind of emphasized why I felt that way. I, I don't think my opinion of Michael Jordan has changed any, right? There's not a ton of controversy. The guy likes to gamble. He likes to smoke cigars. But the bottom line about his career is that he just wanted to win, right? He just wanted to win championships. And I think everything he did was motivated by that. And 
that's a huge part of the reason why, you know, as a kid and, and now as a, as an adult, it's easy to get behind a guy like that. I still want to wear Jordans and I am still, uh, watching this broadcast, uh, you know, which is rooting against him and rooting for Jordan in this game. Um, that, that hasn't changed for me at all. And, and, you know, and then when everybody comes together in the dream team, and that, that's another way of, of bringing everybody together and, and, um, you know, uniting the country if you are a, a fan base that uh, doesn't root for Michael Jordan. So to be uh, just totally transparent, I've been a Laker fan all my life. I've, I've grew up with the Lakers it was in San Diego. We had the Clippers. They started in um, San Diego. They moved to L.A. I never really got behind it. I was always Byron Scott was my guy who played for the Lakers back in the 80s. Um, so I've been following the Magic Bird thing. I knew Jordan when he was at Carolina. Um, I remember the shot against Georgetown. It's kind of like at the beginning of my sports fandom, and I was a basketball player. So I, that was my number one sport. I loved basketball. I played basketball. Um, I thought I was going to the league. Nick Van Exel, my favorite Laker, until number eight, number 24, however you want to call it, comes in and becomes where I'm at, right? So Kobe is my guy. Kobe's a guy that I watched, and every time I would watch him, I would think of one thing. And it was Jordan and all the little mannerisms that he would do, the, the, even to where if you notice in the documentary, he puts his hands on his knees all the time. I used to do that because I thought I was being like Mike, right? Like in games and wrecks or whatever you were playing, you just kind of do that same thing. And that was your way of just kind of thinking you were like Mike. You started to try to do the moves. I would do dunk contests in our in our backyard when I had hops. Did you, like ever, nine foot, you ever stick, nine your, foot stick your tongue out while you're shooting? Oh, I have, I have, I can do the side <laughs> side jam better than anybody in the country. I am, I have mastered <laughs> that side jam, bring it over the top. I mean, it's one of my favorite jams, and the cradle dunk. And so, like all these things that you're talking about, I, I just I look at in such a great time in my life. You know, mid twenties, like uh, peak basketball, like just loving this thing, watching these series go back and forth. But when you guys start talking about Jordan, the brand, it, it's so like brings me back to we don't have anything like that now. Like Tiger became that. And I think that's a great comp, Patrick, because Tiger is a figure as opposed to just a golfer. Right. I think Tiger's probably a terrible human being. Right. Off the, <laughs> off the, he just probably is. Right. So was so were a lot of people that were that great. OK, there's people like that. And I, and I heard this analogy. Magic Johnson is like a buddy guy on their team, okay? I think Shaquille O'Neal is almost that like a buddy guy too. I don't think Jordan ha- could be friends with people and have that thing and then be able to still push him, which is where it gets back to Kobe, and I think Kobe is in that same vein as well. He might not have a lot of friends. You bet you have a lot of close friends, but I mean I think in the end these guys are so driven that that's what happens, and that's the reason why these teams win like they do, and especially with Jordan. But when you guys talk about the brand itself – when we would talk about shoes back in the 90s, it wasn't like what kind of shoes you're getting, what kind of Jordans are you getting? It became almost like, you know, like a verb basically. Like you're saying like, oh, you're going to get some Jordans. Like there you're going to go to that. You know, like what's what kind of Jordans are you getting? And that just meant what kind of shoes you were going to get. So, yes, it crossed over and it became a brand as opposed just to a name. Yeah, and and it's amazing that that really still lives on today. I, I uh, just got a, a pair of Jordan ones, um, you know, before we even knew that we were going to be doing this podcast. So, and you're not even you haven't even put them on eBay yet. <laughs> That's not happening. No, no. <laughs> Although I, I've seen that uh, everybody and their brothers trying to buy some Jordan ones. Episode five oh, yeah. of the Last Dance, you know, focusing on 
uh, him going back to Madison Square Garden and, and putting the ones on uh, and playing in those things, even though he said his feet were bleeding so bad because yeah. shoe technology had increased a lot since uh, the 80s oh, yeah. when those came out. So, um, And Zach, remember, who gave you those shoes? You got to give that guy a shout out. Yeah, that would be, uh, be my, my parents. My mom and dad yes. sent me those shoes. Crowbar him in the show every time. I love it. They've been, uh, they've been sending pictures and texts about some of the other Jordans that I had as, as a kid. My dad was like, you had the fours? And he sent me pictures. And I'm like, that's, a, that's <laughs> awesome. You had the fours and the awesome. 11s. <laughs> that's super He's cool. The best. I love him. Super cool. I love it. So, uh, all right. I feel like we've, we've set this game up pretty well. So why don't we jump in and, and run through what actually happens in the game itself. The place that I want to start, and we talked about this before doing the pod, and I want to, I want to give plenty of time to it here on the show is the broadcast itself. And if you have listened to our podcast, uh, we have been very complimentary of the broadcasts for uh, the 2001 World Series, uh, for Super Bowl 34, for the Miracle on Ice. I mean, you know, we, we've had, uh, what, I guess just Joe Buck and, and Al Michaels on the call. Um, but, you know, some really great broadcasters and some really huge moments that I think did a fantastic job. This was, of the ones that we've done, the first time that as I'm watching it, I, I am actively texting Patrick and Jab about how much I dislike this broadcast. <laughs> and I, I really, um, you know, I'm rooting for the Bulls and we know what's going to happen, but you've got Bob Costas and uh, Isaiah Thomas um, doing this broadcast, and it is so clear that... Obviously, Isaiah doesn't want Michael Jordan to win because those two guys hate each other. Still, to this day, they they hate each other. Um, but y- you know, you can hear the disdain that Costas has for Dennis Rodman, uh, which gets to be a little bit exhausting. And Jordan Jordan hits the shot, and it's not my favorite call. You know, I I don't think that that the energy's there at the end of the game. You know, rather than than replaying uh, Jordan Jordan's game winner. They they go back and and you know replay the the shot that the Jazz missed to to lose the game and it's like I, it felt to me Jab like everybody was over the Bulls at this point um, and I don't know if that that started with Isaiah Thomas I imagine it's probably hard having a color commentator who, who you know uh, hates the star of of the Bulls um, I you know I don't know if it started and ended with them or or if everybody was just kind of over. Chicago winning so many championships at this point in history. All right, I'll take you back real quick here. I don't know if it's as much that they were rooting against the Bulls, per se. I think it's more that people were dying for the Jazz to finally get one. There there was a big groundswell at that time for the Jazz, especially coming off the loss that they had the year before. How many times have you heard Malone and Stockton are the two best players that have not won? You know, like they, they had this, you know, Charles Barkley type mentality where, you know, the, we have to be the ones to do it. Um, the Jazz, for some reason, was that team you kind of rooted for if you were a basketball basketball purist so like you love the passing the pick and roll they started with the pick and roll and and Malone was this big hulking figure that kind of had a pretty good personality and so people really liked him and embraced him in an, in an area of um you know I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't call um let's just call Utah not that diverse right and but yet it's really really great with what they've done with the, with the basketball team and how much they love it and it's one of those arenas that you just kind of as a 
as a player, as a uh, fan of another team, like the Lakers, I hated to go into to the Delta Center. I didn't care how good the team was. The coach was really good. Jerry Sloan was easy to root for. I think it was more that, Zach, and, and it could be a little bit of the um, the hatred for Rodman, too. I think people at that point were just starting to get tired of Rodman's act. Um, and and kind of like think about it. And Pippen, kind of what his act was all about and not being able to come into the game. And so they had some people you didn't like Kraus, right? But you wanted to see this team win. So it, it is a lot, a lot of factors. The one that I think is interesting that you point out when, when you said about Rodman and, and, and um, Costas late in the um, third quarter, I think it was, there's that tie up and, and Rodman yep. goes down and then he trips Malone. And Malone, by the way, is part of that too. If you watch that, Malone's doing it too. Oh, it's and mutual. he talks about. And, he, and, and then Costas, in this smarmy way, says, well, uh, yeah, and he's supposed to wrestle him later on this summer. And I don't know why <laughs> Carl would lower himself to do something yeah. like this. You can see, Patrick, the vitriol that these guys had for him. But I think that's more – and see if I'm wrong, Patrick. Was it more that the, the people wanted the Jazz to win? Or do you think it was more that the, the announcers really outside Isaiah really disliked um, Jordan? Because Ahmad Rashad loved Jordan, clearly. I think it's a little bit of both. I think I agree. I think I remember Malone being like this big gregarious guy who was always very friendly with the media. Um, obviously, Stockton, one of the great you know point guards of ever, uh, super super underrated, uh, even as a you know a Hall of Famer. But I also think at this point, like the Bulls were transparently very tired of the media in general. Like, and it, to to an extent, I get it. Like they. To be on Michael Jordan's team for however, A, to be Michael Jordan or to be on Michael Jordan's team for, you know, what was in total six years, um, it's just a circus traveling around all the time. And especially with this year of just constantly getting asked, are you retiring? Is Phil coming back? The same questions over and over again. Jordan just started no commenting people. Uh, and Jordan had a prickly relationship with some media people. Obviously, I mean, if you've seen in The Last Dance, like he stopped talking to Sports Illustrated after they ran that baseball cover. Uh, Scotty Pippen, when he was asking for a trade, kind of had a, a, a an embargo with the media, wouldn't talk to them anymore. And obviously, you have Rodman, who is a uh, quite a tricky a tricky person to understand at the very least. So I don't think the Bulls were very well liked amongst the media. Like I, I think it's I don't want to say it's on the level of like Barry Barry Bonds or anything like that, but people weren't rooting for them because they did. It's not like people were getting great stories for them or they were super friendly with the media in general. Um, and I agree like that. The, the first thing I thought when I heard this broadcast, I'm like, Oh my God, that's Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> I cannot believe Isaiah Thomas is on the call for this game. Not only because I think he's a, a terrible play by play guy. That's like, that's, that's just awful. one thing. But like, I, I can't even think of like a parallel to have, like who would you have in another sport on a broadcast of just like, they so transparently dislike yeah. the main figure in this game. And on the other side of the table, you have Doug Collins, who was Jordan's coach in the, I believe, late 80s before Phil Jackson, maybe even early 90s. Uh, and I think he still had a good relationship with Jordan. Oh, yeah. And They're tight. He, and, yeah, obviously the the whole Costas-Rodman thing was bizarre and just like, dude, Carl Malone likes wrestling, too. What, what do you mean you don't know why Carl Malone would lower himself to that? He <laughs> likes wrestling. It's, he wasn't forced into it. He's a guy – he's from, like, rural Louisiana. Like, yeah. it's, it, it all checks out. <laughs> uh, Patrick, did you did you have an opportunity to go back and watch the Rodman-Malone uh, matchup in, in the WCW? Because I remember this game. I totally remember being a huge fan of the WCW and, and this whole thing happening. I'm glad you brought this up. So was I. I didn't get a chance to go back and watch it. 
but I distinctly, this is like one of the most distinct like wrestling memories I have when I was a kid because when Rodman first went on that wrestling show, he skipped a Bulls practice to do it. Like he just <laughs> didn't show up. And I remember watching like WCW Nitro on Monday and being like, what is Dennis Rodman doing here? Like what is going on? And then all of a sudden it was a feud with Carl Malone, which was just like, unlike anything I'd ever seen. Like I knew obviously like, Mr. T had been involved in like the eighties with Hulk Hogan or like Mike Tyson was involved in WWF. But like seeing those two guys like in the middle of their careers, not at the end of their careers, in the middle of their careers and in the middle of the season, like just (laughs) being involved in a wrestling match really adds a layer to this of just like throughout the game, you can see, even though they're kind of like jawing at each other and like jostling with each other, you can even hear Rodman at one point. I think uh, there's a foul called on him. And Malone's kind of jawing at him. And Rodman says to the ref, he goes, he knows me. He knows my name. He knows me really well. <laughs> Malone. Uh, yeah. And it's, there's like, they're, they're wrestling with each other the whole time. It's super physical. They're both super physical players, but they're also like, kind of like slapping each other on the ass. Yep. Like, they're yep. fr- like you yeah. can see like they're friendly with each other. Two guys with completely opposite personalities, especially if you know Malone, Malone's kind of like a, a further right wing guy. Rodman is obviously totally the opposite of that, but they obviously (laughs) respect each other a lot. And it's so funny to see two very different guys coming together in the game and kind of like having these fun moments every once in a while. And and I thought that's why the call was so frustrating, right? Because because it just makes... I understand that Dennis Rodman is is polarizing. The guy still is, right? I mean, I, I get it. But the broadcast was making this out to be like he was out there throwing punches at Malone uh-huh. who, you know, did nothing to deserve it. And then they do replays and it's like, uh, no, that's not what's happening. This is this is a mutual. And I know that that's the way that Rodman played defense, too. I mean, the, the last dance highlights that a lot. And, you know, these guys before Rodman came to Chicago, they they freaking hated the way that he played. And then, uh, you know, obviously embraced him as, as a strong part of their defense. But you know, it makes it out to be this this completely one sided thing, and that just was not the case. And uh, I do, no. you know, I, I think it is worth mentioning too, Jab, that the whole Isaiah Thomas thing um, with, with Michael Jordan, you know, this this whole thing goes back a, a long way, which is why it's kind of a joke having him on this broadcast. So uh, the Bulls finally beat the Pistons in the 1991 Eastern Conference Finals. The, the Pistons had had their number for a long while. They finally get through. The Pistons walk off the court before the game's over. There's like seven seconds left and rather than shake hands and congratulate him for finally getting through uh and and that dynasty really starting in chicago you know they take the low road and and walk off the floor and you know they ask isaiah thomas about it he said yeah yeah, well hey in 88 when we beat the celtics you know that that's what they did too that that was the way things were back then right so they asked jordan about that in the last dance and he's rolling his eyes talking about how he he can say whatever he wants to say you know that that wasn't that wasn't a uh uh real great move on his part you know that that's that's not what sportsmanship is about uh then then you get to the dream team in 1992 and hey no isaiah thomas on that team everybody's blaming michael jordan because everybody knows that jordan and isaiah hate each other um and jordan still says now to this day nope i I didn't say isaiah couldn't be on this team but isaiah doesn't believe that still to this day and it's just crazy to me that they would have the guy's arch enemy on the broadcast of you know the likely the last game of his career 
Well, here's the thing too with Isaiah Thomas. One, he's awful on the broad. He was he was terrible broadcaster. He was he was even worse when he went and tried to ruin. Well, probably did ruin uh, Patrick's Knicks. Um, he he was he was awful. It was a bad pairing in general. You could have had Collins and Costas do that. And if you remember, the old guy Peter Vesey was also a great sideline reporter at that time too, who was um, one of the NBC guys. And then Ahmad Rashad clearly was in you know Jordan's back pocket. But when it comes to the dream team thing, I've heard from plenty of people, people that I trust in in the basketball community, Rod Thorne, who was part of that team, who was actually the guy who drafted Jordan, even saying when they went and did this, there wasn't just like one person saying who makes the team. Also remember, Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas were quote-unquote best friends. Magic had a, still had a very strong stranglehold on that um, on the culture and, and who got on that team and who didn't get on that team. And if Magic really wanted um, Isaiah to get on that team, I guarantee he could have went to Michael and said, hey, listen, this guy would help us. If you look at the construction of that team, there's not a spot for Isaiah because they had a couple point guards already on that team. John Stockton being one who was much better um, for as a facilitator. Because you got to remember, Isaiah – was more of a scoring point guard, right? So they didn't need another bunch of scorers on that team. They had freaking Larry Bird. They had, I mean, Chris Mall, they had Jordan. I mean, it was loaded with players. Um, so there really wasn't a spot for him on that. It is interesting. I'll say this. Isaiah Thomas should send a fruit basket, money, cocktails, whatever, some cigars to Jordan because Jordan is making Isaiah Thomas relevant again because <laughs> most people definitely forgot about him. <laughs> That's definitely true. Yeah, I'm sitting here talking about him, and and right. definitely wouldn't be if not for watching the Last Dance. All right, let's talk about He's the action. Very unlikable. He's very unlikable. Yeah, watch this broadcast. You'll feel the same way. And, oh, sorry, real quick. Back to that thing when they walked off. That didn't happen. If you go back and look, the Celtics did. Yep. Larry goes back and actually handshakes, gives a handshake of there. And the person that had everybody leave at that time was Bill Lambeer. Let that sink in. Look up Bill Lambeer and what a great guy that guy was. I'm not shocked. That he was the one that told everybody to walk it off. <laughs> I guarantee you, Vinny Johnson or some of those classy guys on that team wouldn't have done that. All right, let's jump into the game. First quarter, so we see immediately in this game that Scottie Pippen is hurting bad, right? He gets on the board quick uh, with a dunk, and, and they're talking about how he might have already tweaked that back. And watching him run up and down the court, Jab, it, it's clear that he is in a, a ton of pain, uh, and that's going to play a huge role in how things play out in this game. Yeah, and the thing is, too, with Scotty at that time, Everybody thought Scotty was soft, right? You've heard that so many times. Him not going into games later. You know, the whole deal the that was going game. on with Scotty. He's a migraine. He's got an ankle. He always looks like he's hurt. So it, it's tough to think about that he, you know, that he's some type of, uh, in this way, in such a big, crucial game. Because remember, this series, there was only one blowout in this series. All the other games were five points or less. So small plays here and there, which we'll talk about here in the first quarter, which I think is still a big play. I know it's in a basketball game. It's not as big. But... In the end, it does make a difference. So, Scotty going out, all this, all I thought about Patrick was watching this game, it's going to have to be on Jordan's shoulders to have to shoot a lot. And in my opinion, I loved watching Jordan take over games. So, for me, when Scotty went out, I was like, all right, good. I get to watch more Jordan. Yeah, dude, I felt bad for Scotty. I did not, I mean, obviously, we were, Zach and I were 10 when this happened. 10, yeah. Uh, yeah, 10 years old. Uh, so I don't remember this. Like I, I, it's, it's, I mean, I remember at the game, I remember the shot. I remember the bulls won the game, but I don't remember Scotty just being yeah. like, Scotty's almost an afterthought in this game. Like he does have a couple big contributions at key points to kind of like, you know, stop a run that the jazz are on, but 
for the most part, it's just him going back and forth to the locker room, obviously in a ton of pain. And Jab, I'm glad you brought it up. Like there was obviously the game that he sat out um, when Tony Kukoc got the last shot, which is and by the way, he bit, made it. Yeah, he did, which is <laughs> a little different. But what I think of is the my the migraine game, which we all yep. mentioned. Yep. Just like this is kind of another moment like that of just like this could have been such a bad, unfortunate moment for Scotty because anybody who's ever had a back injury of just like you can't move. Not only can you not like play a basketball game, it's just difficult to like stand up and sit down. You can see he's in a lot of pain. The previous game, he went two of 16 from the field. So I'm guessing he probably wasn't feeling too great then either. Um, so yeah, that, that that was one thing I noticed from the first quarter. And the other main thing that I noticed is the Bulls have no answer for Carl Malone. And I forgot how good Carl Malone was. Yeah, he really <laughs> he really dominated this first quarter. And it's amazing that it, it finished as tight as it was because it looked like all Utah uh, in, in the first quarter. And, and I think Jordan kind of helped keep him in check there. Um, you know, going back to Scotty and, and talking about that injury and, and Jav, I know you mentioned the ankle injury and he didn't start the season. And, um, you know, a, a big part of that whole thing was that Scotty held off on, on doing surgery on that until the season, you know, was underway. So he right. could have taken care of that over the summer and started the year with them. But, given his contract situation, decided, uh-huh. no, nah, I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to take, you know, however long off to get this thing taken care of. And and I know that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, including and, Michael Jordan. Including Michael Jordan, definitely. Uh, they were very dependent on Dennis Rodman in the early part of, of that year without Scotty. Um, so, you know, oh, that, that combined with the fact that, yeah, I think there were some people that thought he was soft. But, my goodness, just watching him run up and down the court was painful for me he's taking these soft steps and every time he goes up you're like just cringing watching it happen uh the the bulls finish the other thing that yeah go ahead i was gonna say the one thing that's big for that too is not just him offensively scotty was the best defender that they had and if he was gonna happen what they were doing too is what they're trying to do is he was i think at the time correct me if i'm wrong patrick if um he was guarding hornacek because he was kind of just coming off those screens but when they would switch those screens he was able to double on uh, malone because they like you said they had no answer for malone rodman had no shot so they that was huge defensively and for them to be able to keep the game still close without scotty in the first period really said kind of set the tone for the rest of the game and it's, I mean, it's when you see that dunk, the literally like the the only thing that he does in the first quarter. The first thing I thought was, wow, Scottie Pippen playing against Jeff Hornacek is a problem for Utah. Like Scottie Pippen is a supreme athlete, like one of the best, you know, 30 to 40 players of all time. How is Utah going to guard Scottie Pippen? And the only way is he got hurt. Like it's yep. like Hornacek would have been in a world of trouble trying to guard a fully healthy Scottie Pippen for the entire game. Pippen ends up leaving with around five minutes left in the first quarter. A lot of speculation about whether we'll see him again, given uh, how how rough he was looking early on in this game. Uh, the Bulls do go on a 9-0 run uh, at the end of the first quarter, um, but uh, Jordan misses the final shot of the quarter. In the end, Utah leads uh, after one twenty-five to 22 And Utah uh, responded quickly there, Jab, by going on a 17-5 run to, to finish things up in the quarter. Yeah, the other thing, too, in that quarter, and I think you have it here in the rundown, and I have it written down, there is a big shot that happens. Um, was that second quarter, though, with the um, the shot? Howard Howard Isley? Isley? Yeah, that's yep. the second yeah, quarter. Yeah, second quarter. Okay. Yeah. So that, 
okay, so the first quarter, the Bulls really did a pretty good job of kind of keeping it, like I said, keeping it as close as they could. Um, the, the I do remember, too, is there was a lot of missed shots by uh, the Jazz. A couple bunnies that they, they could have got, they struggled inside. But overall, you could see the flow of the game was, was heading towards Utah based on two things. One, without Pippen being in there, that changes the, 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 the um the game a little bit too, right? You got to look at different guys getting open. Number two, the other thing that stood out to me, guys, is how much, um, and, and Patrick talked about in the rundown, Stockton was definitely not up to his normal, like, speed and yep. even coming off screens. He wasn't very, he was a very, very, he was so good because he was so accurate at the things that he did well, right? He's one of those guys, I call it like Miguel Gonzalez, had to be perfect every time he pitched. And when he, when he was perfect, he was really good. He had no margin of error. And I feel like Stockton had that margin of error and and it was he struggled it seemed like to me he was struggling from where you know the the John Stockton at the height of his powers yeah that's the that's the quiet part of this game that they kind of don't mention as much as Scotty because he's not going to the locker room as much but not only I mean is he one of the great assist player I mean assist men of all time like he I think he's I forget if he still holds the record for assist or not uh but steals as well like he he was I mean he he knew passing lanes he was he was a defensive presence for being kind of a smaller thinner guy but he would he could create a lot of problems on defense um and not having him at the peak of his powers really turned this into as you saw at the end of the first quarter this turned into jordan versus malone uh which for periods was awesome to watch just two guys just literally just pulling every move that they had and the the kitchen sink out uh to try and score and match the other guy on the other end so second quarter gets underway. Chicago's called, as uh, Patrick mentioned, for their fourth illegal defense, which uh, was something that I had to be reminded of because, like you said, Patrick, it no longer exists. Can't uh, play zone. So, so the fourth illegal defense called early on in the second quarter. Uh, here's the play that Jab was talking about and, and a, a really big moment. So Jazz are leading 28-24, just under 10 minutes left in the second quarter. Jazz guard Howard Isley saves a pass that almost went out of bound, out of bounds. Uh, as the shot clock is running down, Antoine Carr uh, passes the ball across to Shandon Anderson. The ball flies over Anderson's hand. Howard Isley catches the ball and he hits a three-pointer. Uh, but the referee ruled that it was a shot clock violation, right? So replays show that Isley's shot came before the shot clock expired, uh, but replay doesn't exist in the NBA until 2002. So uh, this is a, a three-point, uh, you know, three points that could have swung in their favor. Again, Jazz leading 28-24, uh, so it would have been a seven-point game had they gotten this call correct. Jazz coach Jerry Sloan had already received a technical in the first quarter, so he didn't really argue it that much, you know, kind of fearing that another technical would, would get him thrown out of this game. A really big moment in this game, though, Jab, and, and you know, looking back uh, at the history of this game, a lot of people point to some missed calls uh, that really went in favor of the Bulls. Yeah, they definitely did, and that was definitely in um, it, it was a great, it was a great shot. It was a momentum shifter too, but the, the referees in this game were some of the best in there. I think Crawford was in this game. Um, the, the guy who actually called it off is, I forgot his name, but he's a, he's a referee who's, you know, well, you know, well, well thought of in, in NBA community. So I, I really couldn't be more odd. It was just an odd sequence. Cause like you said, Sloan would usually just come out of it, but I think it's great. You pointed out that he got that technical earlier. And last thing you need to do is lose your coach in a, you know, elimination game. Um, the, the, the quarter itself was interesting how, how kind of it went back and forth. Yeah. Right. But 
it, the other thing that you said, it's like Costas talked about it a little bit, but again, it goes back to what you're talking about. It's almost like they were getting so they were like it was almost offensive to Costas that they didn't let that let that go. You know what I mean? Like in the moment, yep. I think he got he was also getting caught up with the crowd too. Oh yeah, and and we should mention that. I know you guys have mentioned the crowd noise, but there are a lot of moments in this broadcast where where the commentators are yelling because it's it's so loud talking over the crowd noise. I mean, it, it's this arena is is crazy, and and that's uh, you know not it hasn't been overstated, especially in the pregame. Man, it's uh, it's hard to hear what these guys are saying standing down on the court. Um, but a big moment and a, and a missed call, and and it does end up going the Bulls' way. Uh, and without Pippen on the on the court, uh, you know, I wrote down a, a quote here that Costas mentions, um, and he just says, you know, how much more of the load can Jordan carry? And and Jordan really gets going in the second quarter. Fourteen of his twenty three uh, points so far had had come in the second quarter. Patrick, um, a very physical game. We see him and Malone going back and forth in the final minutes of the second quarter, but uh, Utah ends up finishing strong, and it's forty nine forty five Jazz at the half. This is the most watchable quarter. Yeah. Uh, the third and fourth quarters have the drama. Like there, there are some great moments in the fourth. Obviously, the last sequence with Jordan, which we're going to get to later, is unbelievable. But this is when the teams are clicking. Like everybody kind of seems like they get a little bit of a second wind here. And this is Jordan versus Malone at its peak. Like both doing what they're known for doing. Uh, Malone drawing a ton of fouls, a great free throw shooter, which is not something which was rare for a guy as big as he was in that time, stepping back and making a couple jumpers and Jordan just putting Byron Russell in an absolute washing machine and just showing him like all of the all of the moves that he's got, the fadeaways, he steps through for a layup at one point. And I was wondering the same thing and I wrote it down to him like if Jordan isn't absolutely on fire, this game is over because nobody else was getting the ball. Tony Kukoc, I think, had a maybe one or two baskets. Judd Bushler had one. But for the most part, this is all Michael Jordan, just willing his team to even be close in this game. Um, and it's 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 amazing to watch. Like, you, you forget how great he was without – I mean, there was nobody out there. There's nobody out there to score the ball. It's, it's him, like Tony Kukoc, Rodman, Steve Kerr, who I don't think takes a shot in this game. Uh, you know, Luke Longley and Bill Wennington rotating in. Kerr, Kerr really gets beat up on in this broadcast too. That was another thing. They were they were really dogging on his abilities too, which was kind of driving me nuts. Yeah, he played 24 minutes and had three assists, uh, no points. So I mean, that's that's kind of big. He. He struggled. He struggled all. I mean, he really struggled in the series overall. Um, the one guy that did help a little bit, um, Patrick, was Kukoc. If you, he had really, an, actually, a really good game for him and and the things he was doing. Yeah, I really thought he helped keep them in this game without yeah. without Pippen. I mean, the, the yep. numbers don't show uh, anything super impressive, and obviously, it is the Michael Jordan show. But I, I thought he was he he helped keep their heads above water in the first two quarters. Even so, he's the only threat. He's like, there's, there's nobody. What are you gonna step out on Bill Wennington when he's got the ball twenty feet from the basket? No, you're don't, just gonna don't leave, sleep just on my guy Ron him. Harper. Harper, <laughs> yeah, Harper. Ron Harper didn't do anything either. It was, uh, but yeah, Kukoc is the one guy. And here's the one note that I do want to mention that I that blew me away because it's just so unlike today now of in the era of like load management and you know kind of like for example Kawhi Leonard taking a couple games off to make sure he's fresh for the playoffs. Bob Costas just casually mentioned yeah. Michael Jordan hasn't missed a game since he came back from baseball. <laughs> yep. A single game. He hasn't missed a game 
in three and a half seasons. He's just played. He played like the back end of the bull, uh, you know, the bull season in the playoffs when they lost to the Magic, and then just 82, 82, 82 finals all the way through, which is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine how tired this guy is and, at this point. And he's 32, 33, and 34 years old in those seasons. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. It would not happen right. today. No, and even with guys like – and the comparable too is think about the guys nowadays and how the game is played. It's such a different game. You see Jordan getting into the post and doing turnarounds. You don't see that now. It, very rarely do you see guys – do that now it's more you know it's a three-point game i get it everything evolves basketball evolves the analytics got involved but in this game if you want to just pure old school peach tree basketball that's what you got really because it was the whole idea of getting jordan to his spot which was right there in the corner elbow and being able to do what he wanted to do at that point and that's kind of how the triangle ran um but it, it was it was amazing how they would try to double triple whatever you tried to do he was turning around making shots and you know patrick and 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 zach as well if you play basketball getting layups is one thing that gets you going and everything but having to do turnarounds and and having to basically jump as high as you can so that you can get it above the, the defender that's usually taller than you and to be able to make these shots on a consistent basis after like you said playing 82 games and three grueling series to get here and now you're in game six which turns out you're not that healthy either how how crazy is that and how nowadays I just can't see it happen. I do remember specifically like it being talked about when Jordan came back from baseball, maybe like a year afterwards because he didn't have the crazy athletic ability that he used to anymore. He wasn't like the most athletic player in the league anymore. I remember him like somebody saying like, Oh, he got the turnaround. Like all of a sudden, like, and Kobe did the same thing to his Mm -hmm. credit when he got older Kobe stopped be, stopped trying to get by people with pure athleticism and just developed a post-up game. And this is, it's, all, it's all you see from Jordan in this game is just like just bullying people in the post and the turnaround is just automatic. And it's something he developed later, later in his career and it's what great players do. I'm just like, oh, I don't have the athleticism anymore. It's kind of like a pitcher not yeah. having like the full velocity anymore of just being like, all right, how do I still get people out without having the best stuff? Jordan just developed – maybe the best post game for a guy who wasn't a forward in the history of basketball. Yeah. These guys adapt the, the great ones adapt and you're definitely seeing it here. Uh, the third quarter is ugly, ugly, ugly. Um, Scotty Pippen does return to the floor. Uh, but after, not really, but, but not he's really. There. No, he's, he's there, but not really. He's, he's not doing a whole lot. He's, he he's is like bit- the guy. He's like the fans, uh, the fake fans of the KBO. <laughs> He is. He's pointing. He he's standing on the weak side of, like, away from the action and just pointing. He's like, a decoy. Like, I followed him for, like, three possessions, just, po- just pointing at people. Yep. Like, All right, there he is. Completely a decoy in this in this this uh, third quarter. It's it's super sloppy. Tons of fouls. The Bulls have four fouls three minutes into the uh, into the uh, third quarter. Uh, Rodman and Malone continuing to go back and forth. This was that moment that Jab talked about where they're both on the floor shoving each other and Costas is talking about that this is when he brings up the uh, WCW matchup that they have coming up in a couple weeks. And um, why would uh, why would Carl lower himself yeah, to do something right. like that? By the way, after that play too, they're both patting each other on the asses yep. too. Like, yep. hey, I, you got it. I got you. You know, It was almost a wrestling type promo. If you look at it, it wasn't like there was any punch 
punches or anything no. throw. Nope. One guy fake tripped the other guy. The other guy fake tripped the other guy. It was great. It was great well, theater. And credit to the referees for for letting them play this physical, right? I mean, I, I felt like it was pretty fairly called between the two. I think they were both playing you know very physical games despite you know how the broadcast presented it uh and and they let them play you know let both sides play which which can get really annoying when referees jump in and and try to uh to change that especially in a game with where the stakes are so high um so but that was that was when this moment took place was in the uh third quarter uh, it ends up being 66-61 for Utah at the end. Uh, Jordan, we can see, is really starting to get gas. He goes one of nine to finish the quarter. Anything else to add in the third, guys? Uh, this one was very sloppy, lots of fouls, very physical. Uh, and you know, we're maybe thinking that, uh, that, that the tank has run out of gas for Jordan. I'd say the one noticeable development that I saw in the third quarter is the doubling of Malone got a lot more aggressive. Yeah. Like the, the Bulls had had enough of Malone just getting every big guy they had in foul trouble and just, you know, p- you know, picking up free points at the free throw line or he was just he was destroying them. So all of a sudden Malone starts they start posting Malone up in the third quarter and the second guy comes immediately. Sometimes a third guy. I mean, they'd send everybody at Carl Malone to make somebody else beat them. And that's it's. It's a strategic change from what they had been doing in the, you know, the first and second quarter. They'd send a guy, but they'd he'd hedge a little bit. He wouldn't be all the way there. Once Malone touches the ball in the third quarter, there are two people on him. And that's a change that kind of stayed for the rest of the game. Yeah, and and I think they continue to contain him pretty well in, in the fourth quarter too, Jab. Um, we we kind of see the, uh, the the Jazz kind of ease up a little bit, um, and I think that's a credit to what the Bulls were able to do defensively. Um, so why don't we jump into the fourth quarter? It's seventy seven seventy seven, just under five minutes left. Uh, Rodman's at the free throw line. He hits one of his two free throws, and it's a foul by Malone because these two are, are going back and forth. Uh, we see Bulls guard Ron Harper make a, a jump shot as the shot clock went off, yeah. tie the game at 79. Uh, and, and this is another one where it looks like, Jab, the referees might have missed this. The replay shows that shot clock might have expired. Costas kind of goes back and references uh, the, the missed call on, on Isley's shot in the first half and you know a little bit of controversy with, with some of the calls. But again, this is the days before in some replay. Replay yeah, review, and Co- I should say. The more and more I think about this, the more and more that you bring this up, I'm thinking Costas might have had some cash, like an Al Michaels-type <laughs> uh, wager on this game, Patrick. I mean, he really is going hard. Now, I know what he wants. Every, back in those days, too, everybody always talked about the conspiracy theory was what? Always want a Game 7. The NBA sets these up. It's always got to go to Game 7, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I don't think that was the case at all. I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy. But I will say games were called differently at different times. It by different referees, um, you know, clearly the the, the Donahue you know, documentary that came out that was an interesting one. But I think in basketball, it's, it's one of the sports that you, it's very difficult, in my opinion, to have everybody in on something and do that. I do find it interesting though that you you you, you keep going back with the Costas, and the more and more I listen to this, Costas did have maybe a small wager, a little money line wager <laughs> on the uh, on the Jazz, Patrick. I think, and the thing is, in this quarter too, you can kind of see. Finally, Malone starts running out of gas. Mm-hmm. Like yep. he he picks it up towards the end. Like he has a couple huge plays towards the end of the game. And dude, he deserved better. Like he, if he had gotten a competent, you know, kind of second banana performance from anybody, Hornacek had an okay game. Howard Isley had a couple moments. If Stockton's healthy, they probably win this game because Malone yeah. was a 
force for, I mean, the better part of three quarters. Um, but you can see him start missing shots. He gets frustrated. He fouls Rodman. That's what sends Rodman to the line. Uh, and yeah, it just kind of gets into, it gets into the end game and the end game is what kind of brings this game back around. Cause like you said, Zach, the third quarter is ugly. The first part of the fourth quarter is kind of ugly. Jordan yeah. just cannot get something to go down for the entire first part of the fourth quarter. And really the fourth quarter to me is he finally gets some help. Like yeah. finally Ron Harper makes a, makes a shot or two. Kukoc starts getting a little hot. Uh, and you know, the cavalry arrives really just in time for Jordan to, to keep the bulls in this game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, Zach, the other thing too, is he gets to the line and yep. that takes two. There's two things in the goal to that with the line. One is there's rest. Right. So he gets to sit there Two, He was a fantastic free throw shooter, 12 of 15. But it's also a way to get yourself. You always hear that. It, the analysts say that best way to get a guy going is to just have him make a couple buckets, whether it's layups or free throws. He's getting to the line and kind of slowing the game down, which also brings what the crowd out of it a little bit as they're at the line, too. So he, he does a great job of starting to ch- kind of chip away, just continue to chip away and keep it close. Yeah, yeah, and he does just that to tie it at 83. He uh, he ties it with two free throws just under a minute to go. So we're just under a minute left in this game. This one, things really get crazy. Stockton hits a three to uh, go up 86-83, Jazz. Uh, then Jordan really quickly responds on a layup of the next possession, uh, 37.1 seconds left, and Utah is just up 86-85 awful defense on that play first of all they need to get a quick one patrick there right and jordan what do you want to take away you want to take away his right side they let him go right there's no help on the other side because as you pointed out carl malone is just basically gassed right he gets by i think russell is guarding him at the time he gets by him and gets that easy bucket and even in the broadcast i think even your boy, doesn't he say that? Does uh, your boy Zay Thomas say something like, you got to get the ball out of his hands. They yeah. don't come and double him, Patrick. They didn't do anything to change. It's almost like they just expected that they were going to score on the other end, but Jordan had other uh, other things in mind. There are three good Isaiah moments in this game, and that's one of them. <laughs> uh, and it's, this one is really just pointing out the obvious. The other one to me is when, uh, when the Rodman kind of like wrestling match or whatever you want to call it with uh, Malone happens on the ground – he actually has knowledge of Rodman. He was a teammate of Rodman. And he it's I mean, again, it's obvious, but he's just like he's trying to get Malone's head. Yep. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, duh. Like that's obvious. That's obviously why that's happening. So there's that moment. There's this moment with the uh I mean, obviously he's just like, you gotta force no duh, you gotta force the ball out yeah. of Michael Jordan. I think Penny could have got to figure that one out. <laughs> uh, I will say the last couple minutes, um, the two things that I noticed, Pippen has a couple big moments. Uh, a couple, he, he makes a couple post entry passes. He makes like two kind of like those, those little hook shots in the yeah. post. So he has a big impact towards the end of this game. And Utah goes exclusively to Stockton, which is really interesting to me because he was just a kind of like on the periphery of this game. Uh, and then down the stretch, it is all Stockton. He misses a shot, he misses a shot, then he makes the three, and then they go to him again at the end. And uh, this last sequence. I mean, this last sequence encapsulates, like, it's a perfect ending for Michael Jordan. You can just pretend yep. that the Wizards thing didn't happen. Because the last <laughs> minute here is exactly what how Michael Jordan's career should end. It's amazing. So he hits that uh, that layup, 37.1 seconds left. The Bulls are down by one. It's 86-85. And then Jordan steals from Carl Malone. He's uh, guarded by Byron Russell. He drives inside the three-point line, does a quick crossover, maybe pushing off a of Russell. 
definitely pushed up. <laughs> but then he drains yeah. a 20-footer, 5.2 seconds left to play. The Bulls are up 87-86. So that's the shot. That is the shot. That's the one everybody remembers. So what what do we think? We got to talk about the push-off. Was it okay to not call that? How much controversy is, is involved in that? I, I don't know. I, I try to look past that and just, you know, kind of uh, uh, think about the greatness of this moment and these last this last minute being the Michael Jordan show and sealing that sixth championship. We'll start with you, Patrick. I am totally fine with the push off. Uh, it's and Isaiah. You know what? This is this to me. This is the best moment that Isaiah has. Is he mentions it because nobody else does. Because and in my opinion, it's it's pretty obvious. Jordan pushed off Russell's leg, but he also says. That's part of what makes Jordan great is he knows what he can get away with. Like, he knows the ref can't see it. He's He's been playing this game for 14 years. And if he doesn't know, he at least knows the odds that here I, this is where I am on the court. That's where the referee is. I've done this a billion times. He probably can't see if I push off right here. And to be fair, like, there's a lot of guys that kind of did these little, like, dirty kind of moves. John Stockton is regarded by a lot of players as one of the dirtiest players ever <laughs> in terms of like cheap fouls, just like little j- just shoves and pushes and stuff like that. And Jordan knew they are not going to call this. And that to me is part of being a brilliant basketball player. Like it's, if he pushes a little harder then Russell falls down, they call the foul. It's, he gives just the right amount of push. He gets, he's at just the right angle. Uh, I think it's an awesome moment. Um, and I mean, obviously one of like the defining, you know, shots, you know, camera shots that you can remember from sports is that reverse kind of end zone angle of Jordan making the shot on Russell. And for me, I think two things. One, if Russell doesn't kind of stumble, because I think actually he slips too. I actually think he gets actually crossed over nowadays. That's a, that's a big that's a big deal. He gets crossed over. Two things to me. One, I can't believe they didn't send another guy over to double. You got to get the ball out of his hands. That, that's unbelievable. That that. The Jazz decided not to do that. I don't know if it was one of those they were afraid to get legal defense or whatever. It's it's mind-numbing. I don't care how good Brian Russell was as a defender. There was no shot that Jordan was going to, A, pass that ball. Though I know he did pass in the past, but if, you, if you're Michael Jordan, you know this is going to be your last game. Who's going to take that shot? Steve Kerr, you know, John Paxson. Who hasn't shot all game? Yeah. <laughs> What I'm saying is that he did that in the past, and people said, you know, you always have the iconic packs in, you know, Curry hits some big shots. I'm saying in this moment, Jordan knows he's going to, you know, in retrospect, we know he's taking this shot. So, first of all, you got to get the ball out of his hands. I don't care what you have to do, you got to get the ball out of his hands. Two, if Russell doesn't slip and fall, it won't look as bad. His push off is not as big of a push off as, as it really might look like it, because as he comes back, if you look at it, he comes back to take the jump shot. And, and is able to leave it up there. I love how he left it up there. I think that's a much more iconic than the, than the um, shot against the um, Cavaliers that everybody talks about because he's you know whooping it up. That was all about him at that point. This was a winning, defining, perfect moment. The other thing is Zach. I loved that his defense is what got them yep. back to get the ball, yep. and and that's something that is under talked about with Jordan. He was one of the best defenders ever, not just in his era ever and he was able to come off his guy go get that steal from Malone who by the way has the ball where Patrick down low where you can get it because why you get tired and you bring the ball down you say to all my big men all the time keep the ball above your head stupid there's no reason for it to drop and what happens there he rips him gets the steal so in that under a minute Jordan does it all and I do think that the 
the perfect pose, everything. I knew he was going to quote unquote retire right after that shot. Just the way his mannerisms were, just the way that that whole thing went down. I didn't think there was a shot that Utah was going to be able to score again, but the possession that they had for that made Mark Turgeon look like Coach K coming out of his <laughs> Oh my God. For a guy that's regarded as one of like the great coaches of yes. you know, the past 40 years, Jerry Sloan, what are you doing? Like You want to talk about like, – Five seconds is an eternity in the NBA, especially when you get the ball at half court. Keep it simple, stupid. You know, Carl Malone's got 37 points. He's been just abusing the Bulls uh, the entire game, get, even though he got stripped. And again, I, I do want to mention, like, actually, I, I remember from the first quarter, Jordan is the same thing. It's, it's early in the first quarter. He strips Malone in a double, and I wonder if he had that kind of filed back in his head. I'm just like, you know what? Maybe I don't do this every time, but at some point again, he's going to keep that ball down low and I'm going to rip him again. But he looks so gassed in the third, and, and that's what everybody talks about him going to this this other level, right? I mean, he looks so tired, and they mentioned on the broadcast about how you know you're, we're going to see Jordan kind of ease up on defense a little bit and rest and, and focus you know more on offense, and we see that in the third. But this is all about him playing both sides, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's a layup followed by a, a strip steal followed by a, a crossover and and the game-winning shot in, in a minute. And, and it's just going to a level that nobody else is able to go to with, uh, you know, the the skill that he has. And, and that's really what defined his career. And that's why I think it's the perfect ending to, uh, to, to you know, the, the dynasty and to his career. 45 points in 44 minutes. That's a uh, that's pretty good. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> we got to talk about how this one ended. So Utah calls timeout at 5.2 oh. seconds left. Uh, they draw up the play. You guys kind of hit on it. They draw up the play. Stockton takes what the play? inbound they pass. Didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> they, the they planned. Stockton, he took a terrible three. <laughs> He misses, yeah, misses the game-winning three. It's it's ugly. 5.2 seconds, like you guys said. Plenty of time to set something up, but uh, very, very ugly finish. You know, I mentioned early on in the pod about how they immediately replay um, Stockton missing this rather yes. than Jordan winning it with uh, with his 20-footer, uh, which I thought was was kind of a downer. Tough, tough finish for Utah. Amazing finish for Michael Jordan. Uh, amazing way to wrap up the career. And yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore the Wizards' years as, as well. This is this is the way <laughs> I wanted it to finish. Um, just just huge. Uh, I you know you you can't say enough about it. There's yeah, a, a a ten hour uh, documentary series all, all about this moment. So what what can we say in an hour long podcast? But um, just truly incredible. And we you know you look at the the ratings for this game and the whole world was captivated by it. Thirty nine or thirty five point nine million viewers. A, a twenty two point three Nielsen rating. Thirty eight share. Uh, it was the highest rated most watched game in the history of the NBA. And after Jordan retired, we kind of saw things change a little bit, Jab, in the NBA. So they had a, they had a lockout in 98-99, uh, and it wasn't until the 2001 Finals, Game 5, when the Lakers won their second consecutive championship under Phil Jackson that the NBA uh, topped the ratings of the, uh, the 1998 Game 6. So... Um, things, you know, the, the league was really dependent on Michael Jordan and without him kind of struggled there for a little while. They definitely did. And, you know, I, I have, I'm well aware of the 2000 and 2001, 2002 Lakers of that, that was that eras when Shaq got there and Kobe with those two guys were at the height of their powers. Um, and Phil, Phil Jackson and, and, and the whole cast of characters ended up going on their little run, but it was Jordan and it, and it really, really, really was just iconic 
at the end when he's going up with the six fingers and, and to the Utah, it's almost like he's really angry at the jazz crowd too. You notice that it's like, he's, he's got to let everybody know he's putting up the Jonathan scope. He's just up there with the six and he just keeps going with the, you know, doing that. And then, you know, it's almost like the, the, the teammates kind of came to him, but the teammates almost rattled around themselves. That was a very singular moment for me too, Patrick, is it Jordan was kind of like a couple guys came and hugged him, but it was almost like he needed to get, just get this out all by himself. Yeah. I mean, obviously I, I it must be weird. Cause like he was, he, what he won them that game. Like, no, like, yeah, Tony Kukoc was, I mean, had, had 15 points. Yeah. Pippen provided a decent decoy, but it was the Michael Jordan show for better or for worse. And at some points in the third quarter, it was for worse. Cause he couldn't, yep. I mean, he was missing his shots, but it was him versus the world. It was kind of like when, um, the, the the LeBron game against the Warriors, that game yep. one where they lost because uh, of J.R. Smith and how much time was left. LeBron <laughs> did ev- he did everything. I mean, and the same thing in this in this vein. Jordan did everything in this game, absolutely everything to win this game. So I feel kind of weird. Like, do you, like what do you like? What do you say to what do you go over and say to Michael Jordan? Just like, oh, you know, like, good job. Thanks. Thanks for I think there was a quote that he said to Bill Wennington in the last episode where he said, uh, Get on or uh, grab the cape and hold on. I think that's what he said to Bill Wennington. <laughs> that's perfect. Well, that's game six of the 1998 NBA Finals, fitting into uh, the the career of the best player in, in NBA history. Um, so, Jab, where were you? So I was, at that time, I was, I was clearly living still in San Diego. I was living in Pacific Beach, a, a uh, city of note. If you guys can ever get out there, it's a very, I mean, well, now you guys are both kind of bunned up, so it's very tough, but it's a good spot. Let's just call it that way. Living in my, living as the kids would call it your best life until you have your own kids. Um, and, and it was just an amazing series going back and forth. And like I said, I was a Laker fan, so I hated the Jazz. Like for you guys, you guys hated the Bulls. Um, for, you know, I understand Patrick's situation too. And I know Pat, I know um, Zach loved you know, love Jordan, but I mean, in general, you guys didn't have like a rooting, like anger. I mean, I really despise the jazz a lot and I'm so glad you brought it up. Patrick, John Stockton was the dirtiest player ever, but because he wore high shorts and because he was this, you know, sweet looking guy that didn't look like he could hurt anybody. He set screens and would take his kneecap and put it right into your thigh every single time when they ran stuff. He was a dirty player. But uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, Zach, that this whole thing for me, the music and the last dance, just all of it is such a such a come. It really came at a great time. Honestly, I'm so glad they moved this whole thing up. Um, to when they did, because it, during this time we're all in there and just trying to find stuff. It really gives you that two hours of bliss for me, at least, and to be able to watch it with with Jackson, my son, and, and to a lesser extent my younger son Noah, and them to understand about Jordan. They know they know who he is, but to be able to see what he did and see how basketball was played um, is really really great for me. It, it's it's really really fun. It's been amazing to relive it, uh, and I yeah. want to echo what what Jab is saying about the Last Dance, which has been incredible, and um, you know, perfect perfect timing for something like that. So, uh, it's it's you know a, a really true deep dive into it, and um, you know, I have fun doing this podcast, but it's amazing, you know, having ten hours of content really going into uh, the the whole career of, of Jordan and. Um, you know, learning a little bit more than we knew before, which, uh, which is awesome. So the footage is amazing that they have some oh of this footage. Oh my gosh. Too. It's awesome. I mean, 
It's awesome. The games that they played during the Space Jam, like being yep. able to play in, in that area. And I know Reggie Miller went to UCLA, so there's guys there. But just the people that were Juwan Howard, Patrick, you just see these guys that, you know, you watched and followed. It was just a fantastic thing. But this game defined what the basketball was like during that time. And honestly, Zach, I think basketball completely changed as soon as they came back from the lockout. It's almost like Jordan put the final vault on the uh, Jordan Bird Magic era. And then I think when we transition into the 2000s, I think it kind of changes because I think Kobe becomes more like Jordan later in his career. But that's kind of where you start seeing the three-point thing. Because if you notice, guys, in this game, both teams shot less three-pointers than any team that I can remember in in a finals. I mean, there was a – the Bulls were four for four for ten, and the, the Jazz was two for ten. Ten, think about that. The, I think I think uh, James Harden gets up ten threes, Patrick, in like the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, the nineties were an ugly time for basketball. Like if there wasn't, if this didn't involve Michael Jordan, and you know the greatest player of all time, man, this is some ugly basketball. Once it gets <laughs> to the two thousands, it starts spreading out a little bit. Probably not until like two thousand ten or so. Does it really yeah. like the three point revolution really kick in? But. Yeah, if, if uh, who won the who won the next couple finals? The Spurs, then then your boys, then the Spurs yep. again. Um, yep. Yeah, so it, it was there was Mr. there was fundamental, Mister Fundamental. Oh God, I love Tim Duncan. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was an ugly time for basketball, but I mean, fortunately, they had the greatest player in the world to help out. Three stars from this game. Uh, number one, Michael Jordan, forty-five points, game winner. That's pretty easy. Uh, Number two, I'm going to go with Carl Malone, who really, yeah. uh, sadly, um, never got that championship, but was you know played really solid in this game and you know faded at the end, but still had 31 points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists. Three was a tough one for me. I end up going with Tony Kukoc, who you know uh, I thought really stepped up in the absence of Scottie Pippen in most of this game. You know he's got 15 points. Um, he, you know, was helpful with, uh, with, uh, assists for assists. Yep. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think you, I think you can make a case for Rodman for the job that he did, uh, against Malone, but, uh, those are my three. What do you got, Jeb? Uh, say I actually had the exact same ones. Kukoc actually was really good and he had zero turnovers in the game. That's the other thing that stood out to me too, is the turnover. There wasn't a lot of turnovers. The Bulls turned it over only nine times in the game in a game that was kind of defensive oriented and kind of, kind of ugly at some points, like you guys pointed out. So I definitely had the exact same thing. I put Carl number two as well. I would actually give a, a if you're going to give a, whatever the opposite of a star is, I think John Stockton had one of his worst games. And, and I think one of the reasons why, and Patrick pointed it out, I think one of the reasons why they did lose this game was because Stockton was so brutal. I had two of the same, and I, I've kind of been debating this because I thought obviously the logical choice was Kukoc. I am going to go with Scottie Pippen. Uh, Scottie Pippen, he was only on the court for 25 minutes, so not obviously nearly as much as Jordan Kukoc, but Utah was still so afraid of him. Like yeah. there are moments in the third quarter where he can't move. There's there's a moment where I think Ron, it's either Jordan or Ron Harper's posting up. They give it to Pippen beyond the three point line, and he like throws a half ass fake at a shot. I mean, he can barely <laughs> move, and Hornacek jumps. Like Hornacek really believes he's going to shoot it, and he just dishes it back inside for an easy layup for Harper. And if you if you look at it. Scottie Pippen, just looking at the plus minus in this game, the Bulls are plus 16 with yeah. Scottie Pippen on the floor. Yeah, he made he's, – he's obviously hurt. He can barely move. The fact that he was able to get out there and contribute you know, positively after the, the game before he had had such a horrific game, he 
the, just the presence of him made a huge difference in this game. So I'm, I'd, I would give him a star for just being out there and just by just by his presence making a huge difference in the outcome of this. Yeah, yeah and Stockton was fair. a minus 13, Zach, too, for his plus minus. Oh, wow. The minus 13 there, wow. too. So that was huge. And he only had five assists. I mean, Stockton has five assists usually in the middle of the first quarter. So and all the shots that Malone was getting was right off the wing there. So they were passing it to Horny and Horny was kind of they were playing just a two man game. So. Uh, it's just an interesting thing, and I still think I, I still would love to have. I would like to do a Jerry Sloan documentary on that last timeout. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's crazy to me, Patrick. I want to know how Malone feels. I, I don't think he'll ever say <laughs> anything. Stock, Stockton's his guy. Like yeah. they're 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 inextricably. They're always going to be linked together. Right. Stockton and Malone, greatest pick and roll combination ever. But I am very curious. How Carl Malone feels that John, uh, John Stockton contested 25 footer was <laughs> his last good shot at a championship in his yeah. prime. Yep. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, man. But uh, a, a amazing look back at, at Jordan's career. And um, I don't know, guys, maybe the most fun I've had uh, doing the pod so far. This was this was a good one. So it continues to uh, to get better and better. And yep. I think we've, we've got something uh, pretty exciting in store for next week, too. Right, Jeff? Yeah, you know, it's funny, though, Zach, you talk about how much fun we had on this one. Well, we're not going to have as much fun with the next one, I don't think, because what we're going to do is give ourselves some pain. We're going to bring up and we're going to talk about the games, our worst loss as a fan, what games for us that meant a lot to us and, and something that you remember. I remember this, and this is all I will tease it with, Zach, after the game that I'm going to talk about next week. I went into my garage and I beat up everything in my garage <laughs> that I could get my hands on. And my wife came outside and said, are you OK? And you know how I am with Trisha. She is the boss. She runs and I'm totally fine with it. I told her to turn around and keep moving because <laughs> I was distraught. It's also the time where I realized, Patrick, that it's just sports and get a hold of yourself. Big stupid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I. I definitely there's so many to pick from and I have so many different responses from because I had I there's a game that I can definitely think of where I had a response like that when yep. I was in college. Yep. And then there's other games where I'm older where I'm just like you get you just get existential and you're just like, why am I doing this? Like, yes, yes, why, I know. Why do I it's keep not putting worth myself it. It's not worth do it. Do I want my children to watch sports? Like, <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know, I know. There's a, there's a hole in the wall in my parents' old bedroom from one of these games. I don't know if that's going to be the one that I pick. Uh, but I've definitely had that, that crisis as well, Patrick, where I'm on the phone and and talking to my dad and saying, why, why, why do we put ourselves through this? It's, is it really worth it? Uh, so we'll talk about, we'll, we'll each have, uh, our, our pick and we'll run through those games. So that should be a good exercise for next week. But this was a fun look back at, at 1998 in the NBA finals. Uh, so Jabby Burns, thanks so much for your insight. Thanks for being here. Good talking to you, my friend. Love doing it. Thank you so much, guys. You guys have a fantastic week. Patrick Guthrie, thanks for being here. Always good talking to you. Thanks for having me, man. Hopefully next week I will be able to do this and not be in a delivery room. We're getting close, guys. We're getting very close. I know. Very close. So we're uh, awaiting, anxiously awaiting that text message from you. So uh, thank you for listening to the Retro Sports Rewind. If you like this week's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to pods. Also, please rate and review the show. Our intro music is Proto-Funk by Kevin McLeod. Mid-show stinger is Scarlet Fire by Otis McDonald and Outro Music. 
is District 4 by Kevin McLeod. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. We will see you next week as we torture ourselves through our three worst games that we've ever endured as fans. Take care. See you next week.